Hi, my name is Alan Vanalik. I'm with the University of Nebraska and I work with the I'm working with the LandLink program as a part of my efforts or job as a farm succession education and, uh, and uh, uh, transition coordinator or transition education coordinator. So um, we're trying to get this land link going. And one of the things I think is a important thing to consider is what we're doing with communication and negotiation as we work between land seekers and land owners. So I wanted to give a, a, a relatively short video here of things I think you have to consider and think about as you talk about your communication skills and negotiation skills uh, when you work on your land link between the seeker and the owner. So how often do we negotiate? Well, we negotiate all the time. We negotiate for cars or tractors or equipment. We negotiate with that salesman. We negotiate with our kids or in my case, our grandkids. They come to the candy aisle at the grocery store and they say, I want a candy bar, I want a candy bar. Are you gonna be a good grandpa or a bad grandpa or a good dad or bad dad? Uh, they're gonna be negotiating with me all the time. And, and you also got family families that you have to negotiate with. And, and to be true, the landowner is going to have their own children to deal with as they try and figure this out. And I, I probably should have a fourth picture of just a business deal because really what we're talking about here is negotiating a business deal between this land seeker and this landowner. And I don't have that depicted here in this slide set, but uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, how to, to make that uh, whole uh, conversation work. Negotiation is that backwards, uh, forward and back process decide to reach an agreement, back and forth process to decide to reach an agreement when you and the other party have both shared and opposed views. Negotiation uh, has to be amicable and has to be a way to, to uh, have our differences worked out. However, most of us were taught to negotiate a different way. I have to tell you the truth is that uh, I, I have to tell a quick story here. My dad taught me how to negotiate. I, we were all taught this way by our parents primarily, and that is we had to win. And so I remember very distinctly going to, to with my dad in about 1969 to go negotiate for a different tractor. And we went to the, the, the tractor dealership and my dad was in the chair and I was sitting in the chair in, in the salesman's office. It was a used tractor. And we sat there for two hours and my dad working this guy over for the last hundred bucks. He wanted the tractor to come down a hundred dollars in price. And at the end of the day, I think the salesman just gave up and said, how about we split the difference? And so two hours later, my dad gained $50 on a deal. He had to pay $50 more, but he didn't have to pay the $100 more. He only had to pay $50 more, but he got the deal made. And uh, let's review for a second what was going on in 1969. I mean, if I wanted to go work for someone in the neighborhood and make money, I would get about a dollar an hour, either for hauling bales or for square bales or for hauling or for helping shell corn. It was not a big wage, 75 cents to a buck and a quarter, pretty much caught all the jobs that I could get in that neighborhood at that time. So I'm getting a pickup after I work with, go, gone to the dealership with my dad and I'm saying, dad, I said, we were there for two hours to save $50. I mean, it doesn't hardly seem like it was worth it. I mean, it's, it's a long time to sit there. It was, it was crazy. And uh, dad looked at me and goes, uh, Alan, where else were we gonna make $25 an hour this afternoon? And I went, touche dad, you got that right. Where else was I gonna make $25? And so. But my point is our parents at that generation taught us to negotiate by having to win. Now, let's fast forward, it's 2020, end of 2020, almost 2021. And how that, how does winning work when you want a long-term relationship? How's it gonna work if we want a long-term relationship between a land seeker and a landowner, if we've been taught and we have to negotiate and we think we have to win? I'm not sure that's the best interest of all of us. So please be careful about that. I wanted to make that point first as we talk about negotiation. 
But the other thing I got to throw in first is to get you to understand that negotiation is uh, not about uh, just a pure back and forth to figuring out where we need to be. I was blessed enough to go to a negotiation training here a couple of years ago now, and 80% of the negotiation training talked about good listening. If we want to negotiate, we need to listen well. And to communicate, we want to communicate well, we need to listen well. And so, the, and I probably said that wrong, 80% of the training was on good communication. And 80% of communication, 90% of communication is good listening. So be sure you understand that. That's, a, that's an important part of what we're trying to get done here. So listening is the key. If you're worried about how if you're listening properly, think about it this way. Repeat what's being said. Ask clarifying questions. In other words, did I hear you say that you were out working some of the fields today? And what were you doing out there? And why did you choose to do this? And what, what made the timing for that operation right as to do it today? Uh, those kind of things. Uh, you know, you can ask clarifying questions and repeat and make sure you heard exactly what they said. Because if we show proper appreciation and empathy, then we have a chance of getting them to listen to us. Make sure you understand. Look at that second bullet there. Uh, the the sub-bullet on number two is that proper appreciation and empathy. But right above that, it says, seek first to understand, then to be understood, which is one of Stephen Covey's uh, habits, highly effective people. Uh, which has been well-researched and well-documented and well-proven. So you have to prove that you listen to them first, and you may have a chance to get them to listen to you. And so anytime you're having trouble with, with negotiation, think about the communication first. Anytime you're having trouble with communication, think about the listening. It's really important to think about the listening because listening is everything. And listen for feelings. Listen for uh, try and get to request clarification. Avoid prejudice. Avoid distractions. Probe for information. Use positive body gestures. Always look at the person talking. Don't look off into your phone or don't look off into the distance. Summarize key points. Uh, ignore phone calls while you're having that conversation. Uh, just make sure that you are listening to what they say. You repeat what they say to make sure you understand and you get their point of view and ask for clarification. Summarize what they what they got going on and then you have a chance of maybe getting your point made and hopefully they listen to you too. But you have to start by listening to the other party first. The keys to negotiation success beside, in addition to the communication, <coughs> is prepare, prepare, prepare. There's nothing that substitutes for proper preparation. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. The preparation best practices is that this, you have to understand that good negotiation is not about winning. It's about creating more value than 100%. How do we create value? You have to give that thought in your situation, what you got going on between that landlord and that land seeker. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. What are they thinking? And what would, what would make a better value for them? What could I concede that would make a, a, this thing go easier or go better? Be thinking about those things. Very important uh, concept your thought to, to work through. Uh, how do I create more value? That's a key, key component to good negotiation and good communication. Uh, to be true, we have to understand that we have to come up with value creation, creating more than 100% value. And here's some things to think about. Here's some, here's some ways that I think that the land seeker and the landowner may work together to make better value. Uh, go starting in the upper left. Uh, the landowner may be paying for a chemical supplier to apply pesticides so much per acre. But maybe the land seeker has that skill and they can, they can take that over and save, the, save everyone some money there because they've applied labor. There's lots of situations where land seekers could do that. Now, maybe uh, going to the lower left, the landowner may have grain bins that could be included to reduce to included in the lease or included in the operation or included with their deal so that we reduce the land seeker storage costs. 
And then that certainly may be a, a value, a way of creating value. The landowner may have housing on own properties that, can, that, that the land, can, land seeker can utilize at either reduced rate or free or whatever, however you want to deal with that. Uh, that's up to you guys, but there, there may be opportunities there. The land seeker might prefer to rent, fall rent to, to rent using a fall payment for the crops, which is done after harvest instead of paying rent before, which helps reduce their interest costs and, and, and just gives them a better deal overall. And uh, you, you have to figure out how you feel about that and whether that's a good deal for you, but it's one way to, one way to think about it. And a landowner may work with a land seeker to write a long-term lease, meaning I think that long-term leases are really valuable to get this land seeker started because um, uh, quite honestly, if the, if the land, land owner, land seeker come up with a deal for them to, to work together and the land owner passes away tomorrow, car wreck or whatever, uh, what, what, what protection do we put in place for that land seeker? And maybe a long-term lease, it may be a lease with the option to buy, maybe a long-term land contract. You have to figure out what that looks like, but there's ways to create value there to ensure that if you want that land seeker to continue to operate your operation, even if you're gone, what does that look like and how we can, how we can create that? And then I'm just giving you one, two, three, four, five ideas here. Uh, please understand there could be a lot more. And so that's what I mean by value creation and thinking outside the box. And just, these are just simple examples you can come up with your own. That's more important than what I've said. Now, when we're talking about negotiation tips, I think we have to make sure that we don't get caught in one of these emotions that tend to screw up negotiations. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm gonna give you five minutes on these emotions that we spent a whole day talking about this when I took my negotiation workshop. We spent a whole day talking about these five things. But anyway, I'll try and give you the highlights, the summary. In a vast majority of the time, if we have negotiations that go, that go bad, uh, one party doesn't feel like they're being appreciated. And so one important tip is to make sure that you show proper appreciation to the other party. Uh, all people want is to be appreciated, meaning are they being listened to? Are we given proper affiliation? Are, are all parties being treated as adversaries or are they be treated as colleagues? And when I give these talk, when I give this talks to my succession classes, I talk about family. But in this case, I'll talk about the colleague or somebody that you're trying to work with. Are we trying to create that win-lose situation, which would be an adversarial situation, or are we trying to create win-win, which is more of a colleague situation? Let's think about how we treat people with affiliation. So appreciation and affiliation are two key parts of making this work. And think about how you're going to set aside some of the things you've been taught about negotiation and work in this, in this manner. And then the other thing is uh, autonomy, status, and role. Autonomy, status, and role tend to go together. Autonomy, are you being given, are you free to make decisions? Or are you being blocked? Do you have control of that or do you not have control of that? A status, are you treated as an inferior or given full recognition? If you're just going to treat somebody as an inferior rather than equal status uh, as a partner, that, that creates hard feelings. And role, are you fulfilled with the role that you have? I mean, the thing I think about there is, the, is, the, is a simple example of the grocery store in town where the, where the family hires a, a stocker boy to come in and stock shelves. And he's also there in the busy times to haul groceries out to the car and help people load up their, their, their groceries to their vehicle uh, in normal times. And uh, what, if we just leave them in that role for years and years and years, gonna, are they going to feel fulfilled with that role? I, I think maybe not. I think maybe you have to think through the, what the roles are for these people. They give them the proper role as they go forward and do the right things and, and help us. And we have to expand their roles and expand their status. We have to expand their autonomy and give them more decision-making. The other, the other caution I want to throw into you as you consider these five um, emotions 
that trap negotiations, screw up, screw up negotiations, is that for autonomy, status, and role, us old people tend to peep, tend to treat the younger generation with incorrect autonomy, status, and role. We tend to look down on them. We tend to not give them serious status. We tend to, to diminish their role. And we also, the older generation, well, maybe all generations, tend to look against gender bias, or have a gender bias. In other words, us, us older men tend to not want to treat women equally or fairly or with proper, a proper autonomy, status, and role. So be careful about women and be careful about the young. Uh, young. And so the young women, I say, always have two strikes against them because they can run into this autonomy, status, and role bias and we have to make sure we get those emotions and we have to get to, we have to make sure we guard against that and not do uh, we have to make sure that we we show that we're listening show we give a proper appreciation affiliation we have to give them status role and autonomy to do the right things so we can make this negotiation go properly remember uh, we have to listen and to have effective communications and effective communications about 80 percent of the negotiations don't negotiation, don't negotiate like we were taught or don't negotiate the way I was taught. Um, always find more value. Think about the things that I said on that slide and how you could expand that list and come up with your own because that's more important than anything I, I had to say. How can we create value to make it an easier transition from the land seeker to the land the landowner and landowner back to land seeker? What, what are ways we can make that work better? Always look for the win-win. This is not a win-loss deal. This will be a win-win deal because the land seeker is trying to get access to land to produce agricultural uh, products, and the land owner is looking for someone to take over their operation. So let's get together and figure out what that looks like and make this work best. Again, I'm Alan Vanalek. I, I uh, am an extension educator for Farm Succession and Transition. I'm helping to coordinate this land link thing. If you need more information or need to know how to contact me, uh, contact me just look at that land link website, and my contact information should be there. I'll be glad to visit with you about this or any other topic that you have or any other questions you have about the whole entire Land League program. And uh, thanks very much for watching. I appreciate it.